I still think Sonny Dykes is the right guy to lead this team. I'll talk more about that now, but this has been a rough season from a coaching perspective. Uh, also, Texas this week. It's a chance to go beat a really good Texas team. I'm not super hopeful at the moment. I'll explain why in segment two. And basketball starts tonight. Men's women's basketball getting underway. The women play this afternoon. The men play this evening at 8 o'clock. All that coming up next. It's Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That's right, Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. Thanks for joining the show. I haven't talked to you guys since like late Thursday evening just because of uh, scheduling so the team loses to Texas Tech. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also subscribe wherever you get podcasts, uh, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those different things. I want to talk about Sonny Dykes and, and the coaching staff in segment one, and then later on we'll get to uh, turning the page a little bit and moving on to the Texas game. I, I will say this. I rewatched the Tech game. This weekend didn't want to, but it did. And uh, I think overall the effort was better. Now there are still certain instances and a lot of people have brought up to me, especially Tommy Fisher, which I totally understand his frustration. Um, it did appear like, like, you know, Jalen Robinson coming across the middle at the end of the game, just sort of stopped and quit on his route. I don't know if that was a miscommunication thing. It was just a pure effort thing. Either way, it's obviously not something that can happen. And especially in that moment in a situation where you're trying to drive down the field and tie the ball game uh, late on the road and force overtime, or maybe even go for two if you score a touchdown there and try to win the football game. Not sure what they would have done, but it didn't matter because Josh Huber throws an interception um, and that ended the football game. I thought overall, though, the team played with a lot more effort and energy than they did certainly against Kansas State a few weeks ago. Uh, but the thing that I keep harping on, I keep coming back to as this team has, has hit a pretty rapid descent here and, Matt talked on uh, Thursday evening or Friday morning, whenever you listened, um, about how they're going to be the first team if they can't find a way to upset either Oklahoma uh, or Texas and also take care of business against Baylor um, in a game I think they'll be favored in, in that ball game at home. But anyway, if they can't find a way to win two more ball games, they'll be the first team since Texas in 2010, I believe, that went five and seven uh, after making a national championship appearance the year before. That was the season that um, Colt McCoy led them the national title game. He gets injured in the national title game. Garrett Gilbert comes in, does a nice job. Everybody thinks, okay, Garrett Gilbert's going to take over. He's going to be fantastic. And then they had some injuries and a lot of other issues that led to them having a losing season. Um, and somebody brought up on the show, uh, yeah, D.W. Cardwell, he brought up on the show um, in the YouTube comments, he was like, LSU did something similar. And you're right, uh, LSU, the year after they had – maybe one of the best teams in college ball history with Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and uh, Jamar Chase and Clyde Edwards Hilaire and a bunch of great guys on defense as well. Um, after that team, they went five and five the next season, that COVID shortened season. They ended up not making a bowl game. And then a few years later, Ed Orgeron was fired uh, and they moved on from him and they went and hired Brian Kelly. So it, this is not something that's necessarily completely unprecedented, but it's rare and it's not a list that you want to be on uh, for obvious reasons. And I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest about it. I overestimated, I think to a certain extent, well, not, I'm not going to put a qualifier on it. I overestimated and I was wrong with the talent on this roster. I thought the talent that they brought into the transfer portal 
and with some you know good young freshmen who just obviously haven't played a whole lot this year um, that they could make up for some of the roster holes that were being left over from the guys that moved on to the NFL. I was wrong about that. I'll also say though, at least publicly, the coaching staff was very bullish on this group too. Like they thought they had the people in the room to go make a run and they haven't been able to do that. Um, and while I thought the effort was better against Texas Tech, you know, I, I kind of went on a rant about this in the postgame show. This is still a team that continues to make very silly mistakes and very costly mistakes that set them back. And whether it's, um, you know, holding penalty or taking a bad angle on defense, missing tackles, ton of missed tackles on Thursday night, uh, procedure penalties, pre-snap penalties, uh, having to take timeouts because you can't get lined up properly and you're having to avoid delay of game calls. Um, all those things are culminating and along with, you know, some of the talent issues, some of the deficiencies they have across the offensive line, having a pretty inconsistent wide receiver room, not having much of a run game, uh, at least after the first four or five games of the season, have really struggled to move the football on the ground. All that has culminated and was become uh, a football team that's not lived up to expectations. Um, but the constant, like the constant what appears to be unpreparedness and uh, just issues that are, are plaguing this team, I feel like a lot of that comes back on coaching. And it's not as simple as just replacing coordinators, even though I think that's a step that you'll probably take this offseason, at least one of those coordinators, um, and, and making a change and moving on. But it, a lot of those silly mistakes and simple mental errors, like that goes deeper than just running a new offensive scheme or running a new defensive scheme. Um getting better on special teams, which is also attention to detail. And that falls back on Sonny. And it, it's it's been very baffling to me because I think Sonny's a good coach. And I feel like he, in the past, you know, especially with last year's team, they excelled at those things. And uh, I've had a number of people um, kind of come back at me and, and, and disagree with this take. And one – guy in particular who goes by the big tuna on Twitter, which is a great handle. He, he's called me a Sunny Dykes apologist and a few other people say, how could you call Sunny Dykes a good coach when, um, you know, these things continually happen and he hasn't really proved it at the power five level, which I guess if there was, if there was a criticism about Sunny that really holds water, it's that, yeah, at the power five level, he hasn't consistently had a lot of success. Now what he did last year at TCU was remarkable. Um, and, the Cal tenure didn't work out ultimately, but it, it wasn't just a complete dumpster fire. Like they were one and 11 his first season in 2013. And they went five and seven in 2014, eight and five in 2015, which was the high watermark while he was there. They won the armed forces bowl. So they were seven and five during the regular season, but then they followed that up with a five and seven season, three and six in Pac 12 play. And he ended up um, moving on slash getting told to move on. Uh, and that's when he went to, spent a year at TCU as an analyst and then, you know, went to uh, SMU. But a number of people have asked me uh, over the weekend, like, what can you show me during Sonny's tenure as a coach that proves that he's done a good job? And, I mean, these are the facts I'm going to give you. You can take it or leave it. But at Louisiana Tech, he went 22-15. and 15. His best seasons were in 2011, he was 8-5, and five, and they won the whack. They went 6-1 and one in conference play. And in 2012, they were 9-3. and three. Uh, they went four and two in conference play that season, but again they made a bowl game and he took over, you know, a, a bad LaTeX team 
Um, I, I went over that Cal tenure where he slowly and methodically kind of turned that thing around, but then they had a dip in year four. And so they the, the two sides decided to essentially mutually part ways. And then at SMU, I mean, he was the best coach there post-death penalty, which I realize that's not the, the highest bar to clear, but it's still just a fact. I mean, he was five and seven in his first year, but then they went 10 and three, seven and three and eight and four for a 30 and 18 season overall. And yes, at the the November sunny questions were there. The team kind of faded down the stretch, but I still, I believe that he can get the job done at TCU. And I think he can, he can consistently be good. Now I'm disappointed that he hasn't been able to get them out of this kind of hamster wheel of mediocrity that they've experienced over the past uh, you know, seven or eight seasons where they'll have one solid year, one really good year. Um, and in 2022, they, they took that ceiling to a new level and making the playoff and winning a playoff game. But then they, they follow it up with a disappointing year. And I think this coming off season is going to be huge. I, I feel like the rest of the year is big, but again, I'm just not super hopeful that they can pull off a big upset. And so I, I really just see one win on the schedule at the moment. Now you go play the games that they could go win and prove me wrong. I've been wrong a lot this year. I would welcome that. I hope they do beat UT. That would be big. I hope they beat Oklahoma if they can find a way to do that. Um, but I just I, I don't see a path for them to do that right now as we sit here, you know, on a Monday, getting ready to play the horns on Saturday night. Um, but this offseason is going to be huge because okay, you know, you can you can you can bring out the excuse uh, list, and there are some compelling arguments as to why this year didn't go to plan. You had really light recruiting classes. You know, the last two cycles under Gary Patterson before he got here, that lack of depth has really shown up. Your your transfer portal guys didn't exactly shake out how you wanted to. Um, you might be moving on from some coordinators in the offseason, and, and that certainly gives you opportunity to kind of reset the clock a little bit. But recruiting from a, a rankings perspective for 2024 and the high school ranks doesn't look like it's on fire. And so how are you going to replace – um, and, and replenish the talent that you've been losing over the last few years? And how are you going to get better at the small things that you were so good at in 2022 that allowed you to win so many games? That's going to be the big questions for the offseason for Sonny Dykes and his coaching staff, and they're going to have to figure that out, and we'll see what they do um, moving forward over you know the coming weeks and months. And can you find a way to pull off a big upset over the next three weeks that – at least makes the fan base feel like you are still kind of moving in the right direction. We'll talk about that Texas game next. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. Everybody wants to be a part of a game-changing company. Everybody wants to have products from game-changing people. Athletic Brewing Company, they are that. Athleticbrewing.com. Use code LOCKDOWN to get 15% off your first order. They are changing the game in the non-alcoholic beverage space. Uh, it's drinks that you can have anywhere at your, you know, at your son or daughter soccer game, um, just hanging out around the house, watching football, doing some yard work, uh, grilling out. They have full body, great tasting, non-alcoholic beer that you can get easily and conveniently 
online athletic brewing company. You can find them um, in restaurants and stores across the country. Their brews are great tasting and award winning. They brew over 50 styles of craft. So they have a lot of different choices. Once you go to that website, you'll get to find something that works for you. They're fit for all times. As I said earlier, no hangovers ever. You can find it in store, online, at bars across the country. Fastest growing non-alcoholic brewery in the U.S. So get on board now. Um, they've changed the game in so many ways. First time customers can use code locked on to get 15% off your first online order. Again, that's L O C K E D O N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewingcompany.com. Near beer exclusions and conditions do apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times, athleticbrewing.com. And then that promo code uh, locked on to get 15% off your first online order. Go there today. It's Texas week. And, you know, I'll tell you what, one thing that one thing that Gary Patterson excelled at when he was at TCU, even in those few years towards the end where things weren't going their way, um, he found a way to win this football game. You know, the, the Texas game was always one that, that he had circled. Frogs only lost this game three times since they uh, joined the Big 12. That second season when they went four and eight, I believe that was 2013, they fell to the horns. And then uh, in 2018, they lost that football game in 2021 also um, fell to, to Texas. But overall, they've been really successful against the Longhorns since they joined the Big 12. And, uh, you know, they've been good even when they've had some teams that were shaky. They had that five and seven team in 2019, Max Duggan's freshman year, where he put together that heroic performance against Texas, had that rushing touchdown late in the ball game that sort of sealed it and, and uh, threw the Frogs up, which was a cool moment. Also in 2020, they weren't favored to win the game that year. They were coming off a loss to Iowa State. They were 0-1. Uh, Texas was, you know, primed to be really good that season, and they just couldn't get it done. TC goes into Austin and found a way to win that football game. It's going to be a night game, 6.30 kick on ABC, uh, so I expect a great atmosphere, and it'll be a great atmosphere for as long as the TCU football team allows it to be. Like if they can get off to a fast start and keep that game competitive, then the fans will be into it. They'll be loud. They'll be cheering. Um, if this thing gets out of hand in a hurry, then, you know, you'll we'll have some trouble. And so I listed all the reasons. I think the TCU players typically get up for this football game too, and I've listed the reasons as to why you should have some hope going into this football game. So you might ask the question, Hey, Steven, I listened to segment one. Why are you not, you know, over the moon about this? Backup quarterback for Texas, I think. Malik Murphy, who's done a nice job overall. Um, they've leaned on their run game a lot, but he's done a, a really nice job kind of taking over for Quinn Ewers, who's dealing with uh, the injury. Um, and I think Murphy, I would assume he gets the start, but we'll see kind of what Steve Sarkeesian says as, um, as the week goes on. But here's the deal with Texas. Even in years where they've been, you know, better than TCU on paper and TCU has still found a way to win, they were still mainly a team and largely a team that was kind of searching and finding their way. This Texas team looks different. And uh, and TCU was, I mean, I guess in fairness, like TCU wasn't favored last year. They were seven-point underdogs going into Austin when they played that game and they were undefeated against Texas. This Texas team is a lot better up front. You know, one thing that stood out to me last season – even though TCU won that football game, that was a really physical and violent football game. They're, both teams were good at the line of scrimmage. 
They were hitting each other. Uh, they were tackling in space. They were getting it done. And this Texas team is once again big and physical. And my biggest concern, I mean, I, I think on either side of the line it's a problem. But this TCU interior offensive line, uh, Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat, the two big defensive tackles for Texas, these guys are, are really, really good. They get off the ball. They are physical. They are quick for defensive tackles, for interior defensive linemen, and they blow plays up. And TCU has struggled so much in the run game to get push in the middle of the field. And C.J. CJ Vogel, excuse me, who covers Texas, um, he put together a little video comp- compilation of what Murphy and Sweat did against Kansas State and how they blew up some plays, especially in the second half and overtime. That didn't give them a chance to really get anything done. And Kansas State has a really good offensive line. I mean, that's like they returned all five starters from last year's team. That's what they hang their hat on. They're going to block you. They're going to run the football. They couldn't do it very effectively against Texas. Uh, and Texas turned the ball over multiple times in that game and kind of let the Wildcats back in it. And that was Kansas State team that was rolling. And Kansas State definitely had opportunities to win. Like Texas looked vulnerable. But bottom line was Texas made a lot of mistakes. They had the backup quarterback in there. They were playing – a, a Kansas State team that had a lot of confidence, and they still found a way to go in there and win that football game. And it starts with how good they are up front. And I said this before the year. There's there's not a lot of ways – like you can scheme around a lot of different things in football. Like there's ways to account for um, inept skill play or even to a certain extent account for a limited quarterback – with what you're doing in, uh, you know, in the run game and the pass game and trying to make things easier for your QB, or, you know, if you don't have a super explosive offense, trying to find ways to methodically jump, run, get down the field and move the football. There's not a lot of ways to scheme around not being able to block. Like not being able to block in the run game is something that you, you can't really work around. And especially like, yeah, pressure from the edge gets there in a hurry and it can, it can hurt you. Nothing blows up a play faster than pressure from the middle, pressure from the interior. It collapses the pocket quickly. It'll get you running back thrown for a loss really quickly. And so I don't know how TCU attacks those guys because if they're not significantly better on the O-line this week, then it's going to be a long day. And that's why I'm I'm kind of discouraged as we sit here on a Monday and, and it's, it's up to the coaching staff to kind of figure this out, and it's up to that O-line to play better. But I'm just not sure how you how you keep Josh Hoover clean in the pocket and how you run the football effectively with Monty Bailey. And you're going to need to do both those things really well if you're going to pull off an upset. And, yeah, it, it's a huge question. And I think it's, it's one that they're going to have to na- find an answer, and I'm not sure we're going to like the answer because it might mean throwing the ball all over the place again, which worked against BYU but hasn't really worked since. Um, but that's going to be a huge issue this week. It's how do you get those guys up front blocked, especially that interior defense line? That's going to be a huge challenge for this TCU football team. When we come back, if you are if basketball starts tonight, and if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't really know what's going on with the basketball team, I'm going to give you a, a primer so you understand, like, hey, here are the facts, here are some of the new faces, here are the players. That's coming up next here in Lockdown One for us. LinkedIn, it is the place to go if you need to find work. And if you're in the business of hiring people, LinkedIn can make it easy for you. Every new hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. 
your business is your livelihood. You need to find people that fit the culture of your business, but also do the job well. LinkedIn is the place to go uh, because you can be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's because everybody knows who LinkedIn is and what they do. That's why I have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. They help you find the right people for your team faster and for free. You can add your job to the hashtag hiring frame on your LinkedIn profile and spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools like screening questions, make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. So you don't have to be overwhelmed with this process. Who am I going to find? There's so many applicants. You can narrow down that process and pool with LinkedIn. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college. Post your job for free there. LinkedIn jobs. They are a proud sponsor of the uh, locked on network. They're the place to go. If you need to find uh, people for your small business, again, that's LinkedIn jobs. Promo code locked on college. TCU men's and women's basketball is back today. The women play at four o'clock against Oral Roberts. First game for Mark Campbell, um, new coach for the TCU Horn Frogs, taking over, and he has completely turned over uh, this roster for the women. I mean, they're they're coming out there with a basically an entirely new team. Uh, Campbell cut his teeth coaching at, at Oregon, and he was really instrumental in building. Those uh, great teams uh, led by Sabrina Ionescu. Um, he was a recruiting coordinator for the Ducks when, you know, those classes were coming to fruition. Uh, and then he did a nice job at Sacramento State. Um, led them to 25 wins last season in their first NCAA tournament appearance in a long time. And so there's a ton of excitement. I'm excited about this team. Again, 4 o'clock start. And that game will be on ESPN+. Plus. You know, some of the big names to know of the new faces – Jaden Owens, um, who spent some time the last few years at Baylor, is a point guard. She's originally from Plano, Texas, finishing out her career at TCU. Um, also, Sedona Prince, uh, the uh, she's the the uh, center for the Frogs this year um, from Oregon originally. Stands at six seven, um, really effective player. Uh, can block shots, can pass. And they're going to run a spread pick and roll. They're going to try to spread people out, take a lot of shots. Um, and Prince and Owens are going to be, you know, the, the two leaders on this basketball team. But, um, you know, significant changes for TCU women's basketball, and they tip off their season this afternoon against Oral Roberts. The men, they play Southern tonight at 8 o'clock. And if you're wondering, okay, who am I supposed to know on the TCU women's basketball team this year? Because it's a you know very different roster. You lose Mike Miles, you lose Damian Ball, um, Eddie Lampkin transfers out. Who are some of the new faces? So here, I'm just going to kind of go over the the main contributors. There's a few more on the roster that I'm that I'm leaving out, but this is essentially going to be your rotation year in and year out. Here are the people that are returning: Micah Peavy, back the long guard who has been a, a great defender for TCU over the last few years, um, and also is, is working on developing. You know, more of more of his offensive game. Word is he's a better shooter, which would be a huge plus for TCU. He has been effective, like slashing at the rim and making plays um, underneath the basket through the years and in transition as well. But if he can become a more complete offensive player to go with his great defense, that would be incredible. Chuck O'Bannon, sharp shooter, sixth season in college, third season here at TCU. 
Um, good defender. If Chuck can be more consistent shooting from three, again, that's going to help this team out a lot. Uh, he seemed to find his, his shooting stroke like late in the season last year, and that really improved the team. Emmanuel Miller, uh, most consistent guy on this team the last few years uh, at that forward position, going to be a double-double threat every night. You know, good mid-range game, can finish around the rim, great rebounder, great energy. He's back. Xavier Cork, I, I'm excited for Xavier because I don't feel like he's going to be playing as many minutes this year, and that might sound like a weird thing. What I mean by that was I feel like Xavier was really effective a few years back when he was coming off the bench and he was playing kind of sparingly because he could really maximize his time on the floor. And with, you know, a role that he's more familiar with this season with some of the front court players they brought in, I think he has a chance to shine. And then Jacoby Coles, who emerged last season as, aside from Mike Miles, Honestly, probably the most consistent scorer on this team had that big bucket against Arizona State in the first round that won the ball game for the Frogs. He is back once again, and I expect him to be a huge part of this offense. Your transfers, Jameer Nelson Jr., point guard from Delaware, scored almost 20, 20 points a game for the Blue Hens last year. Uh, and, yes, son of Jameer Nelson, the, the longtime player, great guard at St. Joe's, uh, along with Delonte West, and then went on to play for the Orlando Magic and a few other teams in the NBA. Uh, Jameer is going to be the engine that makes this thing go. I mean, he's supposed to be the leading scorer. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He is kind of taking over that Mike Miles role. And so we'll get to see him in action tonight. Ernest Uday, the, the transfer from Kansas, uh, big physical center, stands around, you know, 6'11", 7 feet tall, rim runner. Uh, is going to put down a lot of thunderous dunks this year and hopefully be the centerpiece of that defense. Trey Tennyson, uh, from Texas A&M Corpus Christi, he is the sharpshooter. He is the guy that's supposed to come in and spread the floor for the Frogs this year. Avery Anderson, the guard uh, from Oklahoma State, who dealt with a broken hand last season. Again, good defender. If he can find a way to be more consistent shooting the basketball, that would be huge for this team. And he's some, uh, Mufasa, um, the big man from Coastal Carolina, uh, really good finishing with his left or right hand around the rim. Good rebounder, averaged double double last season for the Chanticleers. Um, so much more depth in the front court this season. And I think the real key for this team is going to be can they find a way to spread the floor and make teams respect them from beyond the arc? And then your two freshmen, Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning. So we'll see how much run they get in non conference play. But both those games, women against Oral Roberts and the men against Southern, those games will be on ESPN. Plus. Women play at four, men play at eight. We'll have full recaps on tomorrow's show and we'll also. Get you ready for the Texas game all week long. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day.